when I basically learned what being a masculine man was, I realized there was a different way of being because most men, unfortunately, either followed that path of being the nice guy or they became the bad boy, which in the sense of being the macho guy, ego driven, my way the highway and didn't have respect for women. And so what I'm teaching men how to be in that sense is how to be open hearted, but still strong, aligned, directional and attractive to women. At the same time, I'm also helping women become more feminine because most women I dated back then, I remember, was so much in their machoism too because women are back in the 80s and 90s especially were learning independence. Welcome to the Asian Dating Podcast. My name is May Bugenhagen. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Barry Selby. He is a relationship expert, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, podcaster, and spiritual guide. He is a passionate champion for the divine feminine, a masculine leader, and he leads with a compassionate heart. He is dedicated to helping strong, successful men and women attract a healthy relationship with their authentic and passionate partner. Of course, I will include all of his bio in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about his best-selling book, 50 Ways to Love Your Lover. And welcome to the show, Barry. How are you? Thank you, May, for having me. I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. So I know you're an expert podcaster, an expert speaker. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how you got into the business and what you're doing today and if there's any new projects coming up. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of time. Don't worry about it. Okay. No, um, I guess the, the easy way I say how I got into this work is I made lots and lots of mistakes. That's the best way to start. And the thing is that it didn't just make lots of mistakes, but I also have spent many years involved in human development, personal growth, seminars, retreats, workshops for basically most of my adult life. However, I still get making mistakes. And so the thing for me was, is if I know all this stuff, why am I still making the mistakes? And so it really became more of a self-investigation and a really honest, <laughs> best way of putting it, understanding what I was not doing correctly, what I was doing wrong, basically. And thankfully, after ignoring the fact I was doing something wrong, my last big bad breakup, so to speak, which is back in 2006, she was in no uncertain terms telling me clearly why I was so messed up. And that was probably the biggest gift I could have got because I was blind to it. It was her telling me what I was off base about that gave me something to to um, act on, to start learning what I was what I was really missing. Because I was doing, doing most things I was doing right. I mean, I had a lot of skills under my belt, a lot of communication skills, understanding, ways of being in partnership that really worked, except one um, gaping hole, <laughs> so to speak, which really was... What I talk about being the masculine and feminine conversation is that piece that I didn't know about at the time. And only what being a masculine man was, because I was wired growing up in England in a very reserved, stoic Jewish family to be the nice guy because my dad was the macho guy, which was emotionally um, constipated, <laughs> what a better term, very stoic, um, held everything in and didn't uh, didn't have much um inclusivity very like i'm taking care of everything you just stay home take care of stuff and i couldn't be i mean my i revolted against that i just didn't want to be like that so the only other choice i saw as a way of being was to be the nice guy which is very passive and frankly didn't take charge and for most of my life that was the way it was in my relationships i look back now not in horror but certainly with compassion to see where i did go off course in those relationships 
So when I learned what being a masculine man, which was the third option, because I saw one end of the spectrum was nice guy, one end of the spectrum was, was macho man or bad boy, I didn't know it was a third choice. And when I stood being what masculine man was, it was like I came home to myself. It was such a, such a, re, um, I'll say reclamation, wrong word, such a reunification to come back to myself, to know that's who I really was. Because it includes parts of the nice guy and parts of the bad boy, but in a healthy way. And that was really the, I don't say the game changer, but it was the shift in my life that changed everything for me and became also put me in line with why I do what I do. Because part of being a masculine man is having a clear direction and purpose in life. And that's what this is about for me. So tell me, so in 2006 was when the breakup happened and you realize this other option of becoming, being a masculine man in a relationship. And that's mm -hmm. what you teach your clients, right? Yes, yes. And because I'm teaching men, not as much teaching, the way I describe it in a very informal way is I'm hoping man learn, men learn how to open their hearts without giving up their balls. Because I I, gave, I opened my heart and gave up my balls for many years and that, that wasn't working either. So when I reclaimed my 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 cojones back, so to speak, <laughs> when I when I basically learned what being a masculine man was, I realized there was a different way of being because most men, unfortunately, either followed that path of being a nice guy or they became the bad boy, which in the sense of being the macho guy, ego-driven, my way the highway, and didn't have respect for women. And so what I'm teaching men how to be in that sense is how to be open-hearted, but still strong, aligned, um, directional, and attractive to women. At the same time, I'm also, what started this whole journey with work, it was helping women become more feminine because most women I dated back then, I remember, was so much in their machoism too, because women back in the 80s and 90s especially, were learning independence. They come out of the codependent structures and we're getting their own jobs, their own careers, their own bank accounts. I mean, women didn't have credit cards till 71. So it's not that long ago women started having their independence, so to speak. And most women I was dating back then, and most men I think can attest to this, were more on the same level. So it wasn't, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a dancer relationship. It was more of a banging of heads because it was a competitive, competitive energy. And so what I'm helping a lot of women understand is that it's okay to be feminine and soft without giving up that power they work so hard to claim. How would you coach men to be a masculine man in a relationship? How would you describe the ideal masculine man? What is he? What is he like? Tell me about him. Well, he's he has to be able to listen first of all, which is a big skill for a lot of men to learn. To be honest, because um, we aren't the best listeners. <laughs> so, being a better listener, but in a way that is something you can do from a whole place, a strong place, because the challenge is that it's easy to slide into the niceness area or the kind area and forget who we are. So for me, I wanted to learn myself is to hold a strong boundary in my work. And that's for men as well. And this is also true for women, just to be clear, both sides need to learn how to have healthy boundaries. But for us men, it's better to be able to listen from a stronger place because one of the challenges, and I, I love, um, well, this is one of my teachers, Alison Armstrong, talks about this, is the challenge is that we are wired as men naturally to be problem solvers. We get things done, we get we handle things, and we put our feet up. That's kind of how we operate. When a woman is, when our partner is sharing with us and she's upset, our first instinct is, how do I fix this? Now, there may be reasons to fix it so that you can, she can be quiet so you can get back to your beer or sort of thing, but also it's how do you fix it so that she can be happy? The challenge is when most women are wanting their upset, they don't need to be fixed. I mean, this is a fact of life. Women do not need to be fixed. Let me be clear about that as a, as a statement. 
But the thing is, when women want to vent, oftentimes it's venting so they can be heard, not to be changed. And for us, for men, when we listen, the, the learning is for us men is that we don't need to fix anything. We don't need to get bored. We don't need to take be defensive because 90% of the time it isn't about us anyway. But we need to be present. So for me, what I learned to be was how to have presence with women, clients as well, and how to be listening and be available without trying to fix anything. And it changed all my female relationships. And I've been single for a long time. So these are just friends of mine and also clients because I learned how to be that solid place that women need. And that's the biggest challenge for most women is they can't find a man who's solid enough for them because he's not um, anchored in his true self. Yeah, I, uh, I, every time I have a guest on the show and as I'm talking about dating, I always think back to my own relationship with my husband and we've been married for six years now. And um, I feel like the listening part is actually very true. Like sometimes I just vent to him and I just want him to listen. But then he's yep. saying, well, you should do this or you should do that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, should have, should have, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just, right, exactly. Right. And uh, yeah. that's also like coming home from a movie night or something. I just want him to ask me questions like, hey, how was the movie? What did, what, you know, oh yeah, Barbie was great. Oh yeah, how was the movie? How were the actors? Like, I just want that kind of interaction, you know, just yeah. even though it seems very trivial to him, it just shows that he's listening to me or wants to communicate with me. And sometimes when he doesn't ask me more questions about the movie, I'm like, what, he just doesn't care? Like, he doesn't care what I did yeah. for two and a half, three hours, you know? So yeah, it's a, a very different communication styles between men and women. But um, what about, you mentioned the women should be embracing their feminism. Like, how do you, how do you make sure that the career women are still being feminine when they're out on a date? The biggest challenge I think for women oftentimes is to let their guard down and be trustworthy, trusting of somebody else. The feminine energy in a woman, because women, men and women carry both, just to be clear, as, a, as an understanding, we're on a spectrum, but men tend towards the masculine end of the spectrum and women towards the feminine end of the spectrum, just as a generality. And there's, there's variations, of course, and, and um, movement along the spectrum. For a woman being in a feminine, especially if she works for us, works in the business world, is she has to come back to that energy. She's most more than likely, if she's working in the business world, been um, embodying masculine energy to get things done because she's in a masculine energy field. So it's like, you know, it's goal-oriented, getting things done, completion tasks, all that sort of stuff, which is very male energy. When she comes home, the best thing she can do for herself is something that restores her femininity, which can be as simple as a bubble bath. In fact, I've, I learned from one of my teachers, and I passed on to any couples who are going through this, for the men especially, is if you're if you come home first before your woman does, do her a favor without necessarily telling her. It doesn't be every night, but once in a while, have a hot bubble bath running with candles and soft music. When she comes in the door from work, you take her phone, her keys, and a bag from her. You leave it to the bathroom and say, I'll see you in half an hour. So she can really restore herself because for most women, they're, they, they become a task-oriented um, skill set um, machine in a way. They come from work, then they start cooking dinner, then start doing this, start doing that. They don't turn off. And so they don't spend time really um, nurturing their own feminine energy. They're busy doing and doing and doing, which is very masculine. And if a man wants the wife to do more stuff, you know, for example, having more physical touch, uh, you know, sexual relationships and stuff like that, it's like just 
do the dishes and they'll help her out. You know, like there's, just there's do a, the dishes, a, yeah, do the laundry, <laughs> just clean the house. Like, uh, yeah, we will do whatever there, you want if you just do so many means like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like we, if we can take tasks off of our woman's plate, right. she'll be forever thankful. Yeah. Not as not as a slave, but out of service to her, and she will be happy about it. Yeah, absolutely. Just little things like that, that I think we yeah. just kind of got away from. I find that in our society nowadays, it's like women are just sometimes finding reasons to get offended. And I'm like, why would I be offended? Like, you know, just certain things like that. Like, it's okay that I do chores. I do clean the house. I do cook all that stuff for my man. Right. That makes him happy. Like, I don't find right. that offensive to do domestic stuff I feel like there are certain things that we should do I don't but anyway yeah that's going off on a tangent well, the, the, and the thing and the thing is also it's fun to do things together too mm -hmm. you know cooking together can be one of the sexiest things you do together if you really like that sort of stuff right so those rules and roles that you should adopt because they are shoulds are not required right you can be flexible with those and have some have some fun with them so yeah definitely there's ways of doing things differently so your book called 50 ways to love your lover mm -hmm. what are doesn't have to be in any order but what are like five things that you found in the book has really helped your readers based on feedback and things like that like what are five ways to really love your lover and show mm -hmm. your love and express love well, first of all, just to be clear, the book is really about yourself. I mean, there's 50 ways to be the partner sort of thing, how to be in the world and how to do life in a way that works. So the secret of the book is not about, not about how to make your lover satisfied as much as it is about how to really be satisfying yourself in a sense. So a couple, so some of the principles in the book, one of those things I talk about a lot is to really get clear about the blame game. We have a, we have a tendency when something upsets us to throw blame on somebody else. And the thing about it is, and this is deep. This is way deeper work than normally going to. Just to give us a, a cursory viewpoint, is that when we get upset, oftentimes there's nothing that the other person we can do to fix it with the other person. It can be something as simple as um, they didn't do what they said they were going to do, and we get upset about it. Well, the truth is that thing's now happened. You can spend the next six months being upset about it, or you can simply do something about it. And I took a lot of work in my book about forgiveness and about things too, but the the simpler way of defining it is when we get upset with us, with somebody else, like resentment or judgment or blame, we're basically getting toxic in our system about what they did. And they may be oblivious. So it doesn't do them any harm. It just does us harm. It doesn't do us any good. So it's important to let go of those things that are in the way because the more loving we are to ourselves, the better we're going to be with everybody else. So that's that's actually two chapters in one that talk about that in terms of doing that work. Another one I talk about um, actually is the, the rubber band experience in relationships is in relationship, there's always a level of tension, which is a good thing because if it's too relaxed, then there's nothing happening. You've got a tension, which creates the chemistry and the excitement, and everything else. The challenge is that things happen in life. So one of the partners and always both has something that happens that changes their life. It may be, a trauma, but more likely something they chose to do, like they took up yoga or they went to a seminar, they read a book or they met this great teacher and they change. The thing is that partner hasn't moved or changed at all. So what happens is the distance between the, the previous partner and where the partner is now has, has increased. 
If you imagine the, the relationship is a rubber band containing the two, there's more tension on the rubber band between the two partners. When that happens, there are one of three things can happen. One of the one of three things will, will happen. One of which is the person who hasn't moved looks at what the other person did and goes, I want some of that. I want to be like they are. I want to learn what they learned and will grow their own way. Maybe the same thing, maybe something different, but they'll mostly move to the same place, which puts the relationship back into like homeostasis, makes it more balanced again. The second option is, which is extremely rare, is the person who's done the work, grown and become new and evolved, whatever you want to call that, new and shiny, looks back at their partner and says, you know what, my relationship's more important than this. I'm going to give that up and go back to my relationship the way it was. Very rare, but it does happen. The third option, which is the most common, because oftentimes when one person grows, the other person doesn't, neither one's going to change, is the relationship ends because they can't be together anymore because they become too different. So the rubber band is just the template I use for modeling that one. Um, another one I could talk about is, how was that, three, four? <laughs> keep track of them. Three, that was um, three. Going back to the yeah, rubber band basically. example. So you're saying that if one person grows and she's doing yoga and, you know, expanding her interests, mm -hmm. he needs to also find something to grow and expand their interests so then they don't pull apart the rubber band, right? Are you saying that he also needs to kind of move toward her so they could grow together? Otherwise, it won't work out. Well, the caveat is it doesn't have, does not have to be the same thing. However, right. what's going to happen is if she starts to do things where she's learning new meditation techniques or doing new experiences, her viewpoint of the world is changing and his and if his isn't, and it could be either gender, it's not something you're just using that for example, she's going to find that he's not going to be enough for her anymore. So he's got to do, if he wants to be in that relationship, he has to choose to do his own work. Maybe he starts reading some new books that open up his mind to new ideas, or maybe he watches new videos, or he goes to a new teacher, whatever that is. So you both have new energy to bring to the relationship. It doesn't have, does not, it doesn't have to be the same thing. You know, she could be going to yoga. He might go to yoga too, because it's fun for him. Maybe he decides, you know, that's not my thing. I want to go running on the beach or go, go hiking instead. Or something where they both feel recharged and renewed in their physicality can be good as well. So there's different ways of doing it. What's another way that you can love yourself more? Well, the biggest lesson I keep teaching my clients more than anything else is that you've got to be willing to heal your past before you go into a new relationship. We have now, because of the advent of smartphones and, and dating apps being swipe everywhere, have found the dating opportunity so easy that we don't think much more much of it. We just go, oh, swipe, find somebody new, no problem. But the thing, and this is the biggest piece of the work I've done with my clients, is that we have a lack of awareness that when we meet somebody new, we suddenly discover three, four months into the relationship that the same sort of feelings are coming up, the same sort of issues are coming up, the same sort of patterns are showing up. And it's like the same as the last relationship, the one before that, the one before that. Well, changing the relationship partner does not fix the problem. It changes that come inside. And for most of us, and actually, let me thank you back, for all of us, we learn about relationships, not from books, not from videos, not from dating apps. We learn from the being at the feet of our parents when we're three years old. Like when we're, when we're born, from when we're born to three or four or five years old, we are the sponges of life taking in everything around us like knowledge because like we're hungry to learn because we come in like a clean slate, a tabula rasa. We don't know what we don't know. So we're just hungry for everything. And we watch and observe without any sort of filtration meaning that when we notice the way our parents act or the older people in our lives act, we think that's the way it is. And so our unconscious mind sucks up that information like a sponge 
put into this warehouse of beliefs that goes in and fills up with you know years of experience. And then around five, six, seven years old, our conscious mind, our frontal cortex sort of comes online and becomes the gatekeeper, like the, the bouncer at the club that basically decides what goes in and what doesn't. So it doesn't, so it knows what's believed and what's not, which is great. Fast forward to our adult life, we start dating, going to relationships. We think we know what we're choosing. However, there's a warehouse full of unconscious beliefs that we've picked up when we we're very young that runs the show without us being aware of it. The way that um, Paul Sheely, actually, Paul, Paul Sheely is a friend of mine, great teacher, my, mindfulness expert, talks about how the difference between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind is a foot, conscious mind is like a football. Imagine only football. The unconscious mind is the football stadium you're standing in. That's the difference in scale. See, unconscious mind's power is massive. And it's not um, conditional. You'll do what it does. So as an adult, we start dating somebody. And that's why the conversation like, you know, are you finding so attracted to like, women? Women, are you dating your father? Are you dating someone who reminds you of your father? Not intentionally, but unconsciously. That's the wiring we have inside. So fast forward to say is that when you're an adult, you notice the relationship patterns repeat, repeat, repeat. Oftentimes, it's the same thing you learned as a child from your parents. Not realizing you did. But the good news is when you become aware of it, you can do something about it. And so when I work with my clients a lot of times, it's it's the reparenting of the inner child and it's the flushing out of beliefs that no longer serve us. They come from when we were kids. So that's what you help them do is look back at their childhood and try to dissect what happened and why they're doing those things <laughs> Try now. to dissect, it sounds so clinical. <laughs> <laughs> what, I do, what I do basically is, is really help my clients navigate what are they choosing? What do they really want? And and basically noticing what they're choosing doesn't match it. So it's like, how do we unpack and, and undo that programming so as long as it gets in the way so you can choose what you really want? Because as an adult, we know what we really want, but we don't get what we really want. We get what we think we want or we get what we're unconsciously attracting. So it is a it is it is undoing the undoing the wiring. It's also re it's it's like reinstalling new programming that matches what you really want. So when they're aware of that, that's when they can consciously make an effort to change it and to adjust it. Yeah, because you can't change what you don't know. Right, right. <laughs> do you think do you think that's how women um defined chemistry? They subconsciously, you know, want someone tall, want someone who's a breadwinner, want someone who's like their father. Like are they they're attracting, they define chemistry as someone similar to their dad. I think you're conflating two things together from in my, the way I think about it. You're attracting to yourself someone who does match those qualities, yes, because that's what you've been programmed to think about. But the chemistry is still more than that. The chemistry is still the desire of the, well, the way I like framing it, this is in the book too, it's about chemistry, how chemistry, polarity, and love are interchangeable and they're renewable. Because most people, unfortunately, we get into a relationship, the chemistry is really on fire when they first get together. But at three months or three years in the relationship, the chemistry's kind of died down. And chemistry is the result, I believe, of the magnetism created by the polar differences of masculine and feminine energy. Like mag if you take magnets, put a North Pole magnet and a South Pole together, they're very attractive to each other. You can't pull them apart. Well, the thing is, if you put magnets and draw together for a long time, they tend to lose the magnetism and they don't have the polarity anymore. Same thing is true with couples. Initially, when you get together, the chemistry between masculine and feminine is extremely magnetic. Pulling you together is very exciting, very fun. 
But if you're with the same person for a long period of time, the magnetism fades away. So chemistry is polarity based, the way I frame it. And yes, there's a lot of stuff about hormones and things that other people talk about. That's not where I focus. I, I sense that chemistry is something we built, we have. But the good news is once we have it, we can come back to it if it fades again. And the way to do that, like we're saying with the, with the uh, husband or the partner having his woman come home and going to, kind of taking a bubble bath, those are the things that get it back in the feminine. He has to do things to get back in his masculine. And one of my teachers, I love talking about this, said, because if most partners go out to work and they come home from their long days, They've probably been expressing themselves in both masculine and feminine ways through the day. Both partners have. You know, when they're driving, they're in the masculine. When they're doing things, they're nurturing, they're in the feminine for general, general broad strokes. When they come home together, especially when they get back into sexy time, <laughs> what a better phrase, then one way they can do it in a form of rituals and, and honoring is the feminine partner can, and it's true for gay or straight couples, just to make this clear, the feminine partner can it can um in their imagination like gather up all the masculine energy they've been using through the whole day into a little bundle to give to their masculine partner for safekeeping then the masculine partner is the same thing with all this feminine energy they've been doing all day it gives to their feminine partner for safekeeping it's it's a it's a way of retuning our energetics to create more polarity again because as a chemistry is the extreme differences between the masculine and feminine but when we get comfortable with each other we tend to get in the same wavelength and we lose that that attraction so it is renewable does that answer your question? I think I may have gone off a bit with that one. Yes, yes. So what would you suggest for a couple who's been dating for a while now and for them to, I guess, reunite their chemistry and how to get back into that place, aside from bubble baths and things like that, right. what else can they do to reignite their chemistry? Well, another thing they can do is spend time apart. Um, for men especially, they need to go do masculine things, which could be hiking, could go chopping wood, it could be going playing sports with the boys. I do things again back into their maleness, their energy that really helps men get back into the place of both naturally masculine. For a woman, it's doing things that are more feminine based. So it could be hanging out with with her girlfriends. The good thing is that when women hang out with their girlfriends, they can talk and talk and talk, and not the other women to listen to them. The men don't have to carry that responsibility, which is a good thing for the men too. You know, <laughs> it's, it's selfish in a way, but it works. But doing things that reconnect you back to your natural polarity is the best way to reconnect to the energetics of the partnership the challenge of a lot of relationships when they get married especially when they have kids is the couples don't have any way of getting back to their polarity they get stuck in this best friends energy in a way and so they lose the sexual connection and it becomes very flat in the relationship unfortunately so doing things that can give you back to yourself and again spending time apart is part of that because it gives you your own space to play in can really help you get back to your true authentic nature because when you're in partnership for a long time you sort of you you know, end up sort of rubbing on each other in the sense that you have this sense of you just wear down each other's uniqueness so, so you need you're that saying, so you're saying that it is healthy for the woman in the relationship to hang out with other women and to be feminine in their own way and the man should also do his own thing has his own interests and hang out with the guys go get a beer go golfing or whatever that may be and then they could come back and appreciate each other's feminine and masculine energy yeah and and the caveat being that we're making we're making aligning masculine with male and feminine with female if that's the case then absolutely yes there are occasions the other way around but yes that is definitely 
the best not the best way it's one of the easiest ways to do things because we forget we get into a relationship and we put the relationship above everything else and we forget we have a life on our own doing our own thing whatever that is so having the chance to reconnect back to our values our, our core is important for the relationship to thrive so what do you think about those relationships where the husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend do everything together like they're always together and they're shopping together hiking together going on vacations together do you know what i mean like they do everything together and don't have other friends outside of their relationship is that well, like unhealthy can, then not unhealthy if, if that relationship works and they can still keep they sort of the, the 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 chemistry and the sexual attraction and the joy going that's a gift to keep in, enjoying absolutely but for some people, they it's like if the the partner is the only focus they have, that can get smothering. Yeah, and it's a danger that way. Frankly, you need to have some sort of interest that you do. Even if it's going out on your own to do things like going to movies on your own or going to dinner on your own. Right. It's necessary you have to go and see other friends. You sort of have to artificially generate friendships, but you need to have time apart to make coming back together more fun. Right. Right. You know. Do we talk about? the fifth way do we talk about another way no i've lost count now <laughs> give me one more give me one more one more okay um this this is a, actually a, a more for the men but it's also women too about knowing what your place in the world is like what you're about what you're up to what your gift to the world is because i said earlier about you know being being um suffocating my epic in the relationship can be stifling it's not very healthy but knowing what your why is in the world, for men especially, this is a critical thing for men, it's what I had to learn myself, is the way that one of my teachers, David Data, puts it, is a man's purpose must come before his relationship. And that's in one of his books that I, I refer to all the time. And so for us men, we need to have our why established. Are you pulling out the book? That's the book. <laughs> that is so funny. I've had this book... And I think I met him 16 years ago. How long has this book been around? Do oh, it's got to be 30 years now. Okay. And I've had that book forever. I've never read it. And yeah. you're the second person within seven days mentioning that book. So that's why I pulled it out from downstairs in my basement. And I was like, maybe I can read this. <laughs> well, so. so first of all, that's chapter. I'm talking about chapter seven in the book. I know the chapter very well. Um. And I started with David Data back in 2008, 2009 in LA and then in San Francisco, on Tiburon, actually. He's an amazing teacher, very strange guy, but he's got that book's the seminal book. The Way of the Superior Man was a book that changed my life. I taught from it for a while. I taught men's groups with that book. I love the book because it's written in a way for men to understand. It's short chapters, short attention span. It works for us men. But one of the chapters, there's two chapters that stand out for me. One of them is, um, and I know I'm quoting his book, not my book. But one of them is a man's purpose must come before his relationship. The other chapter, um, which really shocked me, but really taught me a lot, was live as if your father is dead. Because most boys have this fear of um, showing up their dad as less than them by exceeding, exceeding them. Even though most, most dads want their sons to exceed them, most boys think there's something wrong with that. Like they can't shine up their dad. They need, their dad needs to be the hero because dad's God to them. And so I didn't realize I was carrying this thing where I didn't want to like didn't want to earn more than my dad did. I didn't want to succeed more than my dad did because that would be somehow um, disowning him or something like that. That was the wiring we had. So that's one of the chapters I like. Anyway, back to man's purpose for his relationship. That was fundamentally a shift for me because I made about thinking. I thought growing up that relationship was the most important thing in life. Period. 
And it's easy to suffocate a relationship when you do that. I proved that several times. A purpose means that a man is driven by something that calling his, he has clarity, direction. It's like he has, he knows how to navigate the world. And frankly, when a man has purpose, most women find that way more attractive than, than doesn't have that. So it's important for a man to have that understanding, his purpose. I've actually edited it myself since then because I believe, because of my own personal growth and my spiritual path, is that a man's relationship to spirit, to God, whatever you call it, must come before everything else. So man's relationship to, what do we call it, God, spirit, the universe, then relationship to purpose, then relationship to his partner. Because it doesn't make the relationship third. What it does, it takes the pressure off the relationship to be all the things that it doesn't have to be. So having that understanding, and for women too, having their understanding about what the relationship to the world is, it's not the same, necessarily the same focus is for men. One of the things that women have that men don't have is the comfortable ability to multitask and carry and imagine and juggle several things at once. We're much better at one thing at a time. Yeah. Give us one task, we get it done. We'll be oblivious to anything else. We're done, we succeed, we're complete. Great. Here's the next one. For women, juggling several things at once is easy. So recognizing the strengths that we both have and honoring those strengths is a much healthier way of being in relationship too. I love it. I love it. Now, obviously, this is a dating podcast. So yes. what is the most <laughs> common mistake women and men make in a relationship according to your years of experience in this industry? The biggest trap I would say that we've both fallen into is that we think that we'll be made whole when the other person loves us that will be complete, that our relationship will make us feel okay. The, the quote I refer to most often is from Jeremy Maguire when he says, you complete me. Right. It is the most heinous codependent statement I could think of <laughs> because I have a passion for being totally free of that. And when you're dating, to be the best partner you can be, you've got to come from wholeness. So if you're waiting for the other person to make you feel whole, you're playing like in deficit. So if you're dating for men and for women, you want to be looking at a partner who's adding to your life, not filling something you think you're missing. That's the biggest difference I would suggest. I mean, that's how it happens with everything in our lives. Like if we're sad, we think other thing is sad. When we're not happy with ourselves, we're critical of other people. But when we're happy and we're at a good place, that's when we feel like we can accomplish anything and do anything in the world. So yep. yeah, that is, you can't wait for someone to complete you. You have to be happy with yourself before you can do anything in life. I mean, yeah, yep. yeah, that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. Um, well, before I let you go, what is another dating tip that you can give based on what you've learned all these years? about men and women and something that can really help the listeners out there that they might not have thought of. Like it's not something totally obvious mm. to them, but that what you've learned that can really tweak their dating life and make their dating life better. Well, first of all, if you're using the dating apps, do yourself a favor and do a, dating, a decent dating profile. Most people bother. I mean, I, as, as a single man on the dating apps, the women's profiles, nine out of 10, the person didn't put any effort into their pictures. Clearly, you know, so even so, especially for men, because we are, we are generally visually stimulated. It don't, it don't mean sexy, it's mean attractive. When a woman puts a picture up on her, on, on her profile, I mentioned the same thing. Put a picture up that shows you like full face. And here's a, here's a tip, by the way. 
when you do selfies with your phone, put the phone further away because the, the and this is a technical thing for I used to be a photographer is the camera lens on the front facing camera, the, the selfie camera is wide angle, which means if you, if you hold it less than arm's length away, it distorts your face. So it's not really showing you as you really are. So better yet, put the phone further away or have someone else take your picture for you, mean better, use the real camera. The second part is, is you want to have pictures that are representing you. So you need to have a, like a headshot and like a, a, a full body shot, not a picture of you in the mountains where you're sitting like a little tiny little matchstick figure in the distance. You know, I've seen plenty of those. And yeah, if you're doing activities, what you do, what you love to do in your profile, be honest as well, showing what you're showing for. I've seen more people than not put things in their profiles that that I can tell aren't the truth. Like they 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 like they they put their age at the top, and then put their age in the, in the content, saying, "Well, my age is really this, not that." I'd use that for the. It's like, how can I trust somebody if they can't be honest with me up front? So, in the dating profiles, at least, just starting there, be honest up front, and when you go on dates, be willing to be honest. I've also said oftentimes with clients, and some of my people, some of my friends hate this one, and some of my matchmaking friends hate this as well. I always recommend that you, want, especially after the pandemic, is when you meet somebody for the first time, you don't go on a date. You go on a coffee date or an ice cream date or a walk date. You go out with somebody first before you go on a formal date because you want to know, is this person safe to be around? Are they a serial killer? You know, it's like you want to get to know the person who, because if you're dating app, you've just seen some pictures, maybe a little audio track and some copy. You don't know this person really who they are. And there are a lot of scammers on the dating app. So especially for that, but meet somebody informally first, because that's the way you're going to get to know them ultimately anyway. A formal date is unfortunately a little bit pretentious so if you meet somebody relaxed first it's like i like this person let's go on a real date then you can warm up to that so i have, I have a preference and recommendation to people to do that first because it makes the path much smoother before you go too far down the road so you're saying the first date should be coffee um drinks even? well i call it like a like a pre-date okay like a zero date <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like it's like date. Well, the thing is, you know, in the old days, you meet somebody socially or at work or or in your, on the gym, wherever you meet them, you meet somebody first, you get to know them there, then you go on a date. Right. The dating apps, you skip that step. So I'm saying do something casual, informal first to decide if you want to go on a date. Right. You know? Okay. Uh, what else? You said the photos. That's a great tip. Mm -hmm. Make it far away. Have a friend take photos of you. You, as a single person using dating apps, what are other things that you find a turnoff about women's profiles? Lack of information, like they're not putting in effort. Oh, yeah. Profile. Okay. What else? Um, it's okay to put what you really want in there. And don't put the generic stuff in there. Put in what you really do value, what qualities you want, what partnership you want to be like. Um, and this is a safety tip, by the way, just taking it another level, is... Most of the dating apps now have built-in audio and video communication. For ladies especially, but for some men as well, because there are ladies scammers out there as well. I recommend before you even get together physically, have a audio or video call inside the app with the person. So you don't give out your phone number. You don't give away any personal information. So you know if they're safe to be around them. This is just, a, I know it's a scary thing to say, but it's, unfortunately there have been a lot of scams out there. So I recommend that too. But in your profile, this is the thing. If you haven't had a lot of people liking your, you know, clicking on your profile, don't get desperate. Hold up what you really want. That's the other part too, because some people do tend to jump at everyone that likes them because they think they won't know, won't get what they really want. So that helps too. So you're saying 
communicate within the app, don't go, don't give out your phone number. But what if you get like a Google number for dating? Should you give If that? you have a Google number, that's true too. Most people don't think that far ahead. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, the apps have been really getting smarter about this, about making communication within the app safer so that way your information is totally protected. Because that way you know the person's, oh, this person's real, you know, because when the person on the other end turns out to be different skin color, different country, different gender than the person you were looking for, there's something wrong there, you know? Now, how long should you communicate uh, on the app before you meet in person? Like, do you text each other back and forth a couple days and then you should ask for a video call or a phone call? I would strongly suggest that if you're looking to date and you want to meet somebody, don't waste time with three year, three weeks of texting. Yes, text communication initially start the ball rolling. Jump on a, a video or, or a, an audio call in the app if you can. If you trust or you feel strong enough, then use the Google Voice number to call through that way outside the app. And then if you like what you're hearing, set up a date in person. You know, and make it move it quickly. Yeah, coffee okay. date. Okay. Because right. the thing about coffee dates, this is the thing is, and this is one of the fortune, one of these other things too. When if you if a man takes a woman out on a fancy date, there can be this unspoken thing about owing somebody something. It can get really, it can get really um, energetically toxic. So having a pre-date where it's coffee, it's not, it's, it's it's meant to be no big deal. So you can basically get to say, is this person somebody nice or not? Do I like this person? Great, we're going on a real date. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you, Barry. I can't believe how time has flown for us. But uh, any last minute words of wisdom for the audience? And how would they get in touch with you? Of course, I would put all this in the show notes. But any last sure. advice or comments from you? Um, basically, I think what we said is covered pretty much everything. The one thing I, I would say again and again is your relationship with yourself comes first. If you take care of yourself and have a really good relationship with yourself, you'll You'll raise your standards of what you deserve and what you desire, and that's going to be a good thing for you as well. It makes dating much easier. If you if you come from a place of desperation and need, you tend to find the dating qualifications drop too far. So keep the standards higher by taking care of yourself first and being deserving. And you said you put everything in the show notes. I do have the do have the QR code that QR code above, which people can scan that gets you in touch with me as well. It's the little thing I learned recently you can do. So if you want to find me, they can get help. And my book is on Amazon, so definitely recommend getting my book because that's a good starter point to get you going. Okay. Sounds like a great book. I will get myself a copy as well. Well, thank you so much, Barry, for spending time with me today. And for people out there, men, if you're looking to hire a matchmaker or want me to help you find a lovely Asian woman, go to twoasianmatchmakers.com. And Asian women, if you're single and want to be set up and you like my philosophy on dating and my outlook on this industry, you can find me at twoasianmatchmakers.com and fill out a profile with me. That way I can reach out to you if there's a great guy. Thank you, Barry. I will talk to you later. Pleasure. And bye, everyone.